I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. On this week's episode of Power of the Towel, we talk about the week that was for the Vancouver Canucks and their highly impressive, at least in my opinion, road trip out east. They already have five points on this road trip. That's good enough. That's good enough for five hundred. Honestly, any points against Boston, Minnesota, are gravy. Don't want them to lose those games, but they're looking pretty good there. We talk about where would you rank? Yes, where would you rank the Parison Miller duo in the NHL, and maybe what that means for Brock Besser? Consider we're going to talk about the Pedersen Miller duo and not the Pedersen Besser duo like we were last year. I asked the question. Who is your MVP of the season? And we also break down that Mike Gillis interview from Craig Custance that was featured on The Athletic. I'm going to give you a sneak peek behind the VIP curtain. Sorry, everyone. To everyone working at The Athletic, anyways. Should be a good one. You'll be saying wow every time you use this towel. He's not a person at all. He's a towel. You're a towel. But in Vancouver, mainly it's all about towel power. Are you ready? All right. What is up, everyone? Welcome to the latest episode of Power of the Towel. I am your host, Nick Bondi. Of course, we're doing this podcast for the Next Misconduct Network. Make sure to subscribe to the network. You get this show. You get Silky and Filthy. You get The Quickie, the fastest hockey show on planet Earth. Or anywhere, really. In fact, I can probably say it's the fastest hockey show in the entire universe. Yes, I'm saying universe. And of course, you get Sipping on 40 post-game recap after every single Vancouver Canucks game this season. Once again, I'm your host, Nick Bondi. You can follow me on Twitter at Nick Bondi. You can follow the account for this podcast at Power of the Towel. And yeah, what a week it was for the Vancouver Canucks, man. Amazing week, honestly, considering everything that happened. You got a win against the Fenley Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues. Again, maybe they should have, probably, honestly, they should have lost, but they find a way to grind out a win. The one thing that concerns me about that game, and I said that on Sipping on 40, is I, I hope Travis Green doesn't get the wrong impression after this game. That you can play Jay Beagle 18 minutes a night to hold a lead and expect that to be a winning formula. Because it isn't. I'll tell you right now, it isn't. They then beat the Sharks coming back on the same night as the Battle of Alberta. Which is a great game, by the way. We need more regular season games like that in the NHL. We don't get enough of those. And then they beat the Islanders in overtime. Which are some are already calling the Quinn Hughes game. I heard Alfred Breath call it that this morning. The Quinn Hughes game. I like the sound of that. He had two goals. Of course, that great goal to win the game when he's walking line, just fires it in. And they lost to the Canes in overtime, which for some reason, the Canucks are actually pretty close in in shots to the Canes throughout the game. And they lost it. Maybe the key for this team is to simply is to simply just be outshot and let Markstrom win you the game. It seems like when they actually sh- out like, you know, are close to shot attempts for a team, 
They don't play that well for whatever reason. And speaking of earlier about the St. Louis Blues, as of recording this, on a Monday afternoon, Vancouver Canucks are only five points away from the St. Louis Blues. Yes, the defending Stanley Cup champion, St. Louis, as an ambulance goes by our studio. Hope everyone's okay in there. We are studios. Oh, fire truck. Sorry, I should have. I should have known the difference. God damn, I'm an idiot. <laughs> but yeah, hey, the Vancouver Canucks are only five points away from the St. Louis Blues in the top of the Western Conference, the defending Stanley Cup champions. Who would have predicted that at the beginning of the season? That's just wild. So if you know the Canucks are a good win streak away, and essentially a St. Louis Blues losing streak away from being top of the Western Conference. That's wild, man. That's absolutely wild. The game I'm circling, we usually like to, for any new listeners, we usually like, I usually like to preview any big games for the week, games that I'm circling on my personal Canucks calendar. And the one I'm circling is the big division game this Saturday night on whatever they're calling it, Hockey Day in Canada, whatever Sportsnet decides to call it against the Calgary Flames. That's a big divisional game at home. If you can get a regulation win there, that goes a long way to determining what the hell is with all these cars. Like, usually, like, our studio is right beside a fairly busy street around rush hour in Burnaby. You know, we got windows open. All the windows are closed. I don't know what the hell's going on. But it seems like it today, like, there's so many loud vehicles. I, I real What we should really do is, like, put a sign up saying, like, shut the fuck up. We're recording a very popular Canucks podcast. Everyone just ease off the gas a bit. Man, where was I? Yeah, no, I was talking, yeah, the, the big game this this week is a Saturday night game against the Flames. You win that game in regulation, that goes even more to solidifying your, your, your spot in the playoffs, your playoff spot. Again, emphasis on regulation. When you get a point and, you know, it, does, it helps your chances. But, yeah, this, this coming Saturday, huge game. Against the Calgary Flames. Now, of course, yesterday was a Super Bowl. I did fairly well gambling-wise. If you follow me on Twitter, I think pretty much outside of a couple, I think most of them came through. But, you know, the Chiefs won their first Super Bowl in 50 years yesterday, since Super Bowl Four. You know what other team is celebrating their 50th season right now and hasn't won in 50 years? Look, I'm just, I'm just saying... It seems like in sports this year, there seems to be a trend towards, you know, teams who have never won or haven't won in a while winning titles. Obviously, the Raptors in the NBA, Washington Nationals never... No, I don't think they've ever won. Sorry, I'm not a big baseball guy. And obviously, the Chiefs haven't won in 50 years, but at least they've won a Super Bowl. And then then the most relevant example, the Blues, they haven't won any since 1967, since coming into the league as one of the original... Expansion teams. It seems this year in sports, it's time for you know the underdogs to finally get their championships. And hey, maybe I don't want to get too ahead of myself with the with the Canucks here, but it, it's a nice day. The Canucks are firmly in the playoff spot. I'm, I'm feeling good. This is you know I woke up today, and it was. It was daylight when I woke up. I usually leave my house around 7.30 to go to work, and for the first time, it felt like in a while, there was daylight when I left. 
Now, that's a wonder. That's a wonderful feeling when every time you're waking up early, it's just pitch black. It's cold and miserable. I'm hey, I'm just feeling positive. Things are going well. So I teased it at the top of the show. Where would you rank the Pedersen Miller duo in the NHL? Yes, the Pedersen Miller duo, because it seems this season that is the the combo that is driving that first line. Hey, last year it was Pedersen Besser. Everyone's talking about Pedersen Besser, but now it seems like Pedersen Miller. Those guys seem to have great chemistry with each other, and those guys offensively seem to be driving the Canucks, especially the first line. And the Canucks are getting, it seems like every night, a lot of their offense. Where would you rank that duo? I mean, I would rank, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, Pasternak and Marchant. That's that's one off the top of my head, like Ovechkin, Kuznetsov. Those are, but those are teams that are like, Firmly two of the best teams in the league. Maybe Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner. I'm talking about like, but the Canuck, but Pedersen and Miller, the fact that we're even talking about these combinations, I think shows how good this duo has been. Obviously, McDavid, Dreisaitl. So, what, that's four you would probably take above Pedersen Miller. Yeah, that's, I'll maybe take like point Kucherov as well. So that's six. Would you take maybe, like, even, like, Patrick Kane's playing with Kirby Dock as a center? Is that, like, I, Patrick Kane's one of the best wingers in the game, but I would still take Pedersen Miller over those two. You look at Vegas, a team who they're probably competing with for that. I think, I still think, I'm still holding hope just because I took a big bet on Vegas over on their point total before the season. I would still take, I would take, you know, Maybe a Marcia So Smith, that might be one of the better duos in the league. I wouldn't take him over over Patterson and Miller. Even Gaudreau and Monaghan, they're not having nearly as good of a season as they were last year. But what I'm trying to illustrate is the duo, the duos you would take over Patterson Miller is maybe just a handful, maybe like five or six. That's some that that's something to build around if you're the Vancouver Canucks going forward. I know you got to pay Pedersen coming up after next season. But, man, that is a duo you can build around. And, of course, a player that isn't really in that conversation more is Brock Besser. I still don't think you can trade him. I was reading I was reading Thomas Drance's article on The Athletic where he's re- ranking the Canucks, you know, players who they think they might get traded. And I think he ranked Besser not as an untouchable, which was very surprising to me, but, like, Someone they would trade if a blockbuster offer came through. I wouldn't even trade him there. I think you keep him around just in case, you know, you need you need to move, you know, lines around during a during a bad stretch in the playoffs. Oh yeah, I'm already saying it. Playoffs. The Canucks are probably making the playoffs. I saw the Athletic has them at like a ninety percent chance to make the playoffs. It's wild, man. But I don't agree with this list at all. Sorry, I'm just going off of this. I'm reading this list right now. Jay Beagle not moving. I guess it's because of his contract. No, they're not obviously moving Hughes. Michael Furlan, I guess because he has a no-move clause. But, like, Brock Besser, if he has, if a blockbuster offer came through, and Thomas Trance highlight, they didn't give him a big contract because of that. Here's his exact quote. The way the club has utilized, sorry, I can't talk right now. The way the club has utilized, the way the club has utilized Besser in recent weeks and the fact that he was signed to a bridge deal instead of a contract 
supposed to say, uh, supposed to, it says contact. It's supposed to say uh, contract. Whoever slipped up on this uh, athletic article didn't really proofread it. Just putting everyone at the athletic flat With no term this past September suggests that it might not be automatic. No. I, I agree with the sentiment that, you know, Brock Besser's declining ice time means maybe they don't value him as high. I still wouldn't trade him just for the fact that you may need a guy like that to move up in the lineup and, you know, produce points later on in the season. I, I still I still hold hope that he'll be put on a, back on a line with Bo Horvat, and then you can have a Horvat, Pearson, Besser line. That'd be a pretty good second line. Brock Besser may not be, you know, an MVP for the Vancouver Canucks this, this season, but who would you say is the Canucks MVP? I think most people would obviously lean towards Jacob Markstrom, and for good reason. He's he might be he might be a finalist for the Vezina this season. Like that's how good of a season he had. If he keeps up this play the rest of the season, what about a guy like Elias Pettersson or Crinius? Where would you rank them in the MVP conversation? Like if you were to handicap it, I would give Markstrom probably a. chance, a 70% chance, I would give Elias Pettersson probably like a 25% chance if you were to handicap the MVP, like the internal team MVP race. I think Markstrom's got a pretty good lock in it, but if Elias Pettersson has more games, like he had that game against Carolina, man. That game against Carolina showed why he's one of the best players in the league. Not many players can just go off. Like you don't see like many players in the NHL just go off and take control and put the team on their back that often just because of the nature of the sport, right? You know, the best play, even Connor McDavid only plays, you know, 25 minutes a night, 25 or 60 minutes. And it's way more of a kind of team-oriented sport than even a sport like basketball where you can have, like, a guy just absolutely go off and take control of the game. But, like, that game against, against Carolina showed why he's one of the best players in the game. He's a top 10, top 15 player because he could take control of the game. And the Canucks were getting pummeled in that second period. Frankly, they weren't playing a good game. But Lee Patterson put the team on his back and almost willed them to a shootout victory. He's the only guy who scored in the shootout too. So yeah, I would, honestly, I'm almost, I'm almost leaning towards Elias Patterson as a team MVP. I, I see what Jacob Markstrom has done for the team and I respect the hell out of it. I don't know. If I'm a betting man, I'm putting some money down on Patterson just because I think I think he may have a big stretch down the season and catapult his team even further up the standings. Or at least I hope so. And one other thing I was I was thinking about was just what would you do if you're the Vancouver Canucks with Chris Tanev? He's on a he's on his last year of a four point seven five million dollar deal right now. You're not gonna trade him just because you're in a playoff position, but if the Canucks were in the playoff position, he's a prime candidate to get shipped. What would you do with a guy like Chris Tanev? Do you, do you keep him around? He's played well this season, but he's also, you know, a bit of a band-aid. Like, he has trouble staying healthy. You know what? Here's what we're going to do for that this question. Tweet at us. Tweet at me or our podcast account, at Power of the Towel, at Nick Bondi. Choose whichever one, and let me know what you would do with Chris Tanev. I'm on, honestly of the opinion... If he's asking too much, you may have to let him walk. Just because of the contract situation this team has coming up in the future, you can't really commit you know, big dollars to a guy like Tanner. When he already committed big big dollars to a guy like Jay Beagle, Michael Furland already, you know, 
Brandon Sutter's already got like another year on his books. But yeah, what would you do with Chris Tanev? Tweet, tweet at me. I want to get into this though. I want to get into the Q&A with former Canucks GM Mike Gillis. And his quote in the headline is, there's a couple things I would have done entirely differently. And what, Mike Gillis, like he's still like, he still invokes strong memories in this market, strong feelings in this market. There's a lot of people who point out to a lot of his heirs, especially to the end of his tenure, and rightfully so. And there's also, but there's also a lot of people who bring up good points that he presided over probably the best team in Canucks history. And I know Kyle Bowen, who hosts Sippin' on 40. You can uh, follow them at Sippin' on 40. Yeah, Mike Gillis made some, made some great moves. He also made some questionable moves. But even those questionable moves, in hindsight, are looking pretty good. Everyone ripped on this guy. Do you remember everyone ripping on this guy for the return he got for Luongo? He got Jacob Mark. He got Sean Mathias. Who, well, he's okay, but he got Jacob Markstrom. And Jacob Markstrom is one of the best, is, is pro, like I said earlier, probably going to be this team's MVP and could be nominated for the Vesna. He's having a wild season, man. Just absolutely wild. But, of course, if any Mike Gillis interview, talk comes back to 2011. I remember listening to uh, TSN 1040's interview when they had Mike Gillis on. I think it was around, like, October of last year they managed to coax Mike Gillis into an interview. And here's, of course, this, uh, this, this line of questioning has to do with kind of the coverage of that 2011 team. And here and um, Craig Cott says, here's this question. When I look at how you were built and how you played, it wasn't all that dissimilar to the Red Wings teams of the same era. They were highly skilled. They were going to go on the power play, beat you if you did something stupid. Why do you think Vancouver is looked at differently, if you believe that, versus their contemporary? And here's Mike Gillis. Here's a part of his response. Because we're a Canadian team, there was, I'm not sure if it still remains. Mike Gillis 100% is aware that from some people it still remains. <laughs> there was a dramatic difference in how hockey is perceived in Canada versus the rest of the world and how it should be played. Canadians are the toughest hockey players in the world, and that's the way that games should be played. If you can't beat them in the alley, you can't beat them on the ice. There are decades of that type of sentiment. There are lots of people that have big platforms that expose that sentiment and that, that said things sorry, like that very publicly. And then he goes on to say, there are pe- media people openly refer to the Sedins as sisters. You know, they were the best players in the league that year, and that's how they got referred to by certain media people. I didn't handle that correctly. None of us handled that correctly. Now, he goes on to say he would handle, like, crisis management people, and he would have changed, like, his entire demeanor surrounding that. I think this whole 2011, this whole 2011 era, the, the 2011 files, really shaped what Canucks Twitter ended up being for the most part. Right now, it's a lot of like infighting and all that stuff, but I'm sure I like the hope at least when the Canucks make the playoffs, all the Benning bros and the bitter bros and whatever the fuck, whatever the fuck you want to call them. I think I like to think the Canucks, Canucks fans are all going to unite together and have that us against the world mentality that really characterized the fan base during that 2011 era. Because that's what it was. It was a lot of, you know, some media members who didn't like the way the team was playing. And like, like Mike Gillis said, called the Sedin sisters and all this stuff. Then like, they didn't like Mike Gillis probably a bit as well. And all, and, every, and all the Canucks fans just ganged up on these people, man. That us against the world mentality is a very powerful sentiment. I, I, I like to think at least. I really, really, really like to think that if the Canucks make the playoffs, we can find some sort of common ground and just... And, you know, have that us-against-the-world mentality 
that we once had. Because that that I honestly miss that. I don't think it's go I don't think this whole Benning versus Bitter Bros thing is going away until the Canucks make make the playoffs again. But even then, I think a lot of these like Benning bros might take it the wrong way. Man, if you're if you're a so-called Benning bro and the Canucks make the playoffs, you know, comfortably this year, don't try and rub it in. Be be a be a gracious winner. That's what I'm trying to say. Our guest this week is a prominent, very prominent Vancouver sports radio host. You may know him as a co-host of the program on Sportsnet 650. He also hosts the Canucks pod with former NHL goalie and former Canuck, Alex Ald. It's the one and only Sadiar Shaw. Just a minute. Don't hang up. Yellow. You'll have to speak up. I'm wearing a towel. So we now welcome on to Power of the Towel. You may know him as a host for Sportsnet 650. He's got his own podcast as well, the Canucks Pod, correct? Yes, this is correct. Okay, awesome. This is Sadiar Shah. Sad, how's it going? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing. First of all, are we tight enough? I can call you Sat, like, or do I have to? Yeah, dude. Okay, no, okay, no. I'm just, I'm, I'm just making sure right off the bat that we're, that we're on the same page. So, my first listen, of listen, like. Everyone can call me Sad. I don't care. Like that's that's my nickname. It's all good. Like, okay. People refer to it. And hey, Canucks community, you're all my friends. So oh, okay. Like that's all good. So so everyone in the Canucks community's got the green light. Cool. So it's kind of yeah. like it's kind of like me and Nicholas. Like the only person who calls me Nicholas is my mom when she's mad at me. Everyone else calls me Nick, and that's just kind of just what I've gone by. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. Uh, it's the, the parents. They always love to go full name. Yeah. And especially when you're in trouble, right? Yo, no, 100%. That's, that's usually how it goes. So uh, my first official question is, would you like to apologize on behalf of Sportsnet as a Sportsnet employee for playing that William Nylander uh, feature during the first intermission <laughs> of Canucks Islanders? Uh, well, you know, like, listen, I'm, I'm always there for more Canucks content. I want to see less Leafs content. It was one of those things, like it was Hockey Day or whatever. You know what I mean? Uh, hometown hockey. They had two broadcasts. It was this time. was a There's Saturday. This was a Saturday. This was this was this this was the Saturday yeah. one. Yeah, man. Hey, no no excuses. Yeah. Okay. Hey, so official part. official apology yeah. by Sadiar Shaw on behalf of Sportsnet. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I, I was yeah, very man, I was I was very upset as a Canucks fan over that. Hey, trust me, man. I, I want to see less uh, Leafs content as well, man. Believe me. Like, you, you, you're with, you're the one with, with the inside leverage. Like you, you're the guy who's got to make that happen. I'm sure you have some pull with the higher ups at Sportsnet. I mean, uh, nowadays the only pull I got is being employee. But outside of that, <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, you know, we we pass it forward. I always do uh, when it comes to these sort of things. And one of the things we're pushing for locally is to have more coverage. And, and hopefully, as the team starts getting better here, we get more of that on TV. But hey, we have tremendous coverage during uh, Canucks games on radio. On oh, Sports absolutely! Yeah. I do all the Canucks. I do all the Canucks games now on radio. So if I'm not on intermission on TV, I'm on intermission on the radio, pregame, postgame. And I promise you, the radio aspect is 100% Canucks talk, the best you can get on the market. Okay, so, ne- ne- if next... you don't get it on TV, listen on radio. Okay, ne- next time I listen to Canucks game on Sportsnet 650, if I hear one mention of the Leafs, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be tweeting at you. <laughs> no, the only thing that Mike had mentioned is how the Canucks throttled the Leafs the next time. They play. Okay, that? all right. That's what I like all to right. hear. So <laughs> you're also, you're, you cover the Canucks, but you're also a Cleveland Browns fan, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sadly, so. Yeah. yeah okay, I, why? Are you just a masochist? Do you just enjoy like? Uh, it, do you enjoy pain? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, if you judge by 
uh, my history and personal relationships as well, you may come to that conclusion. <laughs> but that's a different story for a different day. I became a Browns fan because as a kid, I used to read Sports Illustrated all the time. And I remember reading about mm-hmm. Jim Brown. I'm like, dude, this guy's like the most badass guy around, right? I mean, you know, he was uh, he was a social justice warrior. I mean, he was a great football player. He played in movies. This is this really cool personality, right? So I read about him. I thought he was badass, the best running back of all time. I'm like, Jim Brown's great. What team did he play for? It's Browns. That's my team. And I love dogs. And Browns are the dog pound and all that stuff. So when I was a kid, it was just easy. I'm like, Jim Brown, I like dogs. Their uniforms look cool. I became a Browns fan. And mm. I'm super loyal to a fault. So I don't, I don't, I don't bounce on my teams when, when they don't do well. So I'm stuck with the Cleveland Browns. Now, with Jim Brown, uh, there were other things about his past, like, I, I, I did I not want to bring it up, but go go ahead. Go no, right no, ahead. No, this is the thing. This, this is the thing. Like I didn't know about this when I was younger, especially because times were different. Like early nineties or whatever. Yeah, like a six, seven, eight year old. See, kid, I was about to. I was about to. I was about to. Sorry, I was about to think you were going to say like, oh, I remember watching Jim ba- Brown play back in the day. I was about to say like, are you actually like sixty years old? And I'm not just not aware. No, <laughs> no, I, I may look that old because no, I'm you, you're, like you're, no, you're you're a silver fox. You're you're beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm born in 84, so, like, I'm, I'm not that old. But so in the 90s, like, that sort of stuff, and it's, and it's a sad commentary on, on society at the time, like, things like domestic violence and stuff weren't really frowned upon. It was like, oh, yeah, they got into a tussle. Big deal. Get over it. Mm-hmm. Now we look at it a lot differently. And, you know, part of me thinks back, and it's like, you know, if those things were taken more seriously in the 90s, maybe I didn't, I wouldn't become a Browns fan because I would be like, oh, this guy's not as good as he seems. But regardless, that, that's the story of how I came to be a Browns fan. I don't look as Jim Brown as fondly because of some of those things. Of course, he would do make mistakes. I understand. Yada, yada, yada. But anyways, that is the genesis of me becoming a Browns fan. And considering I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for loyalty, here I am. Haven't been able to uh, ditch them. Mm-hmm. So, so for the past few years, not only have you had to cover like one of the worst teams in the National Hockey League. Statistically, they've had like the worst record in the league. You also have to watch like uh, Freddie Kitchens run a draw play on fourth and eight. Oh my gosh! Yeah, dude, tell me about it. It just drove me crazy. And in theory, it made sense to go with Freddie. He showed really good potential. The reason, okay, sorry, sorry for the football tangent here. But the reason Freddie Kitchens got hired as the Browns coach <laughs> so much, he was not Hugh Jackson. Let's be real here. That Pretty was like his number one even... requirement. Just don't be Hugh no. Jackson. Exactly. And, you know, like he actually had a couple of good play calls. He, he got into a rhythm a little bit. The, the Browns actually won a few games. And next thing you know, he got overrated and he was in over his head. So we'll see if, if another first time head coach will work this time. And I'm, I'm, I'm past the point of making predictions for the Browns because I was really thinking they'd be a lot better this season. So like I'm, I'm you and like 90 percent of the people thought like the Browns would be at least have like be a nine win yeah. team. Probably nine wins. I had it on like 11. Come on. You went. Like, you I, you I, actually I'm, thought the eleven wins? Yeah, man. Oh, I thought man. That. Look, look at the roster. I know, dude. I know it's ridiculous. But like, look at the roster level of talent they have on offense and defense. Like, they have a super talented team. They just didn't put it together. And I got I got to carry it away a little bit. And um, that that's what I get for getting excited about a football yeah, team. That that's exactly that's a, it's one hundred percent your fault for getting your hopes up. No, I agree. That, it, it's not a them problem. It's a me problem at yeah. this point. Just, as long yeah. as your expectations are rock bottom, <laughs> like you're never going to be disappointed. That's how that's how I yeah. live my life with the Vancouver Canucks. <laughs> hey, man, there's more reason for optimism uh, oh. on the Canucks. At least. Yeah, definitely this season, absolutely. So I want to get a bit of like your career. Like, how did you decide to pursue uh, a career in sports broadcasting and you know being a radio host? How did you get involved in that? 
long story short, I mean, as, as a teenager, like my dream was to be a professional athlete. You know, I, I played pretty much every sport growing up. Um, I really tried to make it happen in basketball and football and hockey. My dream in hockey died, you know, when I was like 12 and it was pretty obvious I wasn't, wasn't going to go too far. Like I was like, all right, I guess I'm not going to be a, be a professional hockey player. I, I tried with basketball and football, definitely not good enough. And then when I got to college, you know, I tried to play you know, some college basketball. I was an alternate. Didn't quite work out. I'm like, okay, well, I'm giving up my dream of being a professional athlete or at least an athlete of any type of consequence. So I'm like, okay, what else do I, what, what else can I do in the thing I'm most passionate about sports? And I was like, okay, I can either be an agent and we'll study law and do something like that, or I can get into broadcasting. And then I ended up uh, going to broadcast school, got my degree at the university as well. And uh, I got my foot in the door uh, back in 05 at Z95. Oh, I remember, I remember Z95, yeah. man. I remember my I when I was like no, I, I remember as a kid, uh, one of my biggest joys was. Do you remember? Maybe you remember this, but they used to have like a thing like you can message in to wish people happy birthday over the air. And my dad yeah, for yeah. like my tenth birthday got them to like give me a shout out over the air for my birthday because I always used to listen to Z ninety five three on my way to school. Yeah, that was that was the thing. Z ninety five, especially like in the in the like the late nineties, early two thousands, was the it station. Then it beat yeah. came in and became the cool, you know, urban station and things kinda changed. <clears throat> but I got in doing like promotions and I did some producing producing work for Pictures of Sea Isle. And from there on, uh, after I finished school, I got a job in Edson, Alberta, this is 06, to do news and sports. And <clears throat> so I could cover the Oilers, I could cover the Eskimos, I could do some real news and sports reporting. Yeah. And Edson was excuse me one second. No, go ahead. Do, do your thing, man. <clears throat> I'm just getting Are over you... this cold. Oh, I'm okay. My throat still gets scratchy, so apologies for a second. No, but, no, you're, you're you're all good, man. Uh, so, um, so I got into it in, in Edson, Alberta, because you know Edson's about two hours uh, west of Edmonton and two hours east of Jasper, in between. So it was a good opportunity for a small town that had access to an NHL team for me to go and kind of cut my teeth in the industry. So I spent three years there. And I did a lot of news and sports and stuff, and it was a great experience. And then I came back, uh, and I kind of felt like, okay, maybe my dream of becoming a, a prominent or at least a, you know, own okay sports broadcast is not going to happen. I kept applying for jobs. Nothing came my way. So I'm like, okay, well, I should go back to Vancouver now and finish my degree at SFU just in case this radio thing doesn't work out. So I go back. I'm finishing my school. I get a part-time job at Chorus, which is Rock 101, Fox, and CKNW. And I'm there for a couple of years of finishing up my degree at SFU. You're an SFU man as well. Respect. Yeah, man. SFU respect, man. We're all, it's all about SFU, man. Like I'm, uh, I mean, I don't hate UBC, but screw them. At the no, time. yeah, I used so, to, I used to, you know, I used to work for the student newspaper SFU. I hate UBC specifically because of my hatred, of my hatred for the student newspaper out at UBC. I love it. They're they're ve- they're, forever, they're, they're very arrogant. I just remember. I just remember. <laughs> like there used to be a um, there used to be like a student journalism conference that all the mm. student newspapers around Canada would attend, and UBC was the sorry yeah the UBC paper called the UBC very unoriginal name if you ask me. We used to call them yeah. the PUBC. It was very clever. I thought. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's no, they were the only good. ones who would ever never show up. They have like they right. they just have their own conference. Like that week, like what the hell, man? Yeah, man, that's that's totally a UBC. Thing, yeah, just right? totally like, like arrogant, like assholes. Yeah, you could you can call. You feel free to like let the experts fly about <laughs> UBC. I love to hear it on this podcast. <laughs> well, well, I got a lot of friends with the UBC as well, but 
you know, screw them. I always give them crap yeah. over it. But yeah, it's a huge word that. Yeah, so I'm with you. So, I mean, I went there. I was thinking I might be green. And then next thing you know, mm-hmm. I, was work, I, was, I was doing part-time work um, producing the Bro Jake show, filling in and stuff like that with Dave, with Bro Jake and Dave Pratt with a sports guy. And then out of nowhere, Jake got let go at Rock 101, and I had applied. I had finished uh, my degree at SFU. I was studying for the LSAT. Uh, I wrote the LSAT. I even got into a couple of law schools, and I was about to, like, you know, go and take that part of my journey. I was like, well, this is what I'm going to do next because uh, this thing's not working out for me in sports. And next thing you know, bro, Jake's like, hey, I just got a job at 1040, and I really want you to be my producer because I know you're, you know, sports. You're good at it. You can really help me out, and we can start this new thing together. So I was like, well, I just spent the last couple of years studying, and I'm going to do this law thing. So I'm like, forget it. Like, this is my opportunity. I get to go to 1040. I get my foot in the door. So I just took that opportunity. And the next thing you know, I was there for three years, mm-hmm. almost four. And then, you know, one thing leads to another. I find myself at Sportsnet. So, you know, I, I've been very fortunate to kind of be in the right place at the right time a couple of times. Um, but this industry is tough, man. Like, it can take a long time. Some people are super talented and they can get opportunities right away. Others will take some time like me. And it took me a good, like, you know, 10 years in the industry to really get the opportunity I wanted, which was having my own show and, you know, doing stuff like that and getting opportunity on TV, which I've just been super blessed and lucky with. And, you know, it just happened over a long period of time, but it was a time where I almost gave up the dream and decided to do something else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the stars cannot align for me, fortunately. So that's why I know people are always like, what was it like working with Bro Jake? What was it like to work with Dave Pratt? Those guys were awesome to me. They gave me an opportunity. They both fostered. They both um, let me grow on air. Uh, they both listened to me. So I got nothing but good things to say. Mm. So you're, as in, to use a sports cliche, you were a late bloomer. Dude, total late, late bloomer. I was like the undrafted kid who, I'm like, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to compare myself to Alex Burroughs, but I'm like, I was similar in that undrafted, uh, totally forgotten yeah, about. French Canadian, played ball hockey. 100%. Very like, similar. Completely, yeah, and it was like, you know, how Craig Heisinger kind of found Burroughs. You know, it was kind of like, you know, the, the randomly somebody found me, and over time, things just progressed and the stars kind of aligned. I mean, a lot of good luck for me as well. You kind of need that sometimes because I wasn't blessed with that incredible God-given talent. I really had to work and improve uh, everything that I did. So, uh, you know, things just aligned. Definitely, though, definitely not undrafted free agent type who, who bloomed very late in his career. Mm. So you mentioned Bro Jake earlier. What's he actually like? Like you mentioned, well, was he Bro? actually actually like? Because I remember growing up, my dad used to hate him. I don't like. I guess I don't because just for you didn't like his yeah. show. But like, what, yeah. what what's what's Bro Jake actually like? Bro is, is is a very interesting guy. Like he's he's super funny. He's super creative. He's a really good guy. He's really nice. He cares about people around him. You know, this guy who's had so much success in this broadcast industry. And despite, you know, all the stuff about, you know, is he really a sports guy or not? I mean, you know, they came calling for an opportunity. And in this business, when you've been around a long time and you have different experiences, if somebody gives you an opportunity when something gets taken away, you're going to take it. So I don't blame him for going after sports. And he put the right team around him to make the most out of it. And I like his preparation when it comes to that. I learned so much from Jake because, you know, regardless of what anybody thinks of him, He's one of the Canadian broadcast legends. He's been around forever, and he's had so much success throughout his career. And he's got a great voice, and he knows how to act on air, and he knows how to be funny and do things. And it's not everybody's cup of tea, but you definitely got to respect the ability he has 
and how long he stayed in the industry because it's so difficult to be around and be as prominent as he's been for as long as he's been. So working with Jake was really a great experience for me because I learned so much from the guy. And, you know, I joke around about this. Like, I learned a lot about what to do and what not to do being in that situation. And overall, like, Jake just gave me an opportunity and it was super good for me. And he, he's always been super supportive of my career even when I left and I'm doing what I'm doing at Sportsnet. So from a personal standpoint, I got nothing but great things to say about Jake. I promise we'll get to the Canucks talk soon, but I don't know if you're aware of this, but you are the latest guest on the Clout Tour 2020 to start my podcast. First of all, congrats. Uh, the t-shirt is in the Love mail. Uh, so it. it should be it should be here soon. But to, to get so the whole point is to get people who have Twitter clout on the show, but I, I need the retweet. I, I need the yeah, retweet. So no, no. So here's what I'm gonna do. I haven't been getting the retweets. I've been, I've been, I've been liking from you know Harmon or Faber or Quadrelli. I'm calling them out on this show right now. <clears throat> Sorry. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna put a clip of this show with a tweet that says something like Sadiar Shaw. If Sadiar Shaw does not retweet this, he hates puppies or something to that effect. Oh, oh and you're just gonna have to look, refresh your mentions, and wait for that tweet to come up. Uh, otherwise, it's uh, otherwise it's out there that you hate puppies, or maybe it's something worse. I don't. I don't really. I don't really know yet. Well, if you say I hate puppies, that cuts me deep because I love dogs. So, <laughs> See, exactly. Okay, so that's that's yeah. a good one. Okay, that's a good one. If you do that, I got no choice but to retweet. Yeah. Okay. Just so just so we're both clear before we before we get any more talking. Yeah. I okay. Got you. Yeah, okay. So, cool. Yeah, so awesome. I, I will retweet. That's gonna work. That's gonna work. Okay. Perfect. So yeah. So you've been on the Judd Bracket. You know trained for a while in terms of reporting the if he's going to sign a new deal if he's not what yeah. the, like what's what's the latest with with Judd Brackett in his contract situation well it's pretty much where it's been for the past uh, couple of weeks or so I mean they are negotiating I think the one thing that can't get lost in all this is it's not like there is no negotiation going on and that um you know the Canucks don't want him and they're screwing with him and all that sort of stuff the thing to take away is there is a negotiation going on all things being equal, Judd really wants to stay. The Canucks really want to keep him. Those things are true. The question really comes down to what is the role they envision for him and the contract and, you know, the traditional contract stuff like term, money, those things always play a big factor in it. The other thing is role and responsibility. And Judd's one of those guys whose stature has grown significantly. I know Jim talked about how they promoted him when they came over into the scout. Now he's the director mm -hmm. of scouting for the organization. He has moved up under this regime. You can't take that away from him. So obviously they are valuing his work. But one of the things too is people around the league are taking notice. And there are organizations that are looking at Judd and saying, if he becomes available this summer, we want to add him to our organization. And it's not going to be as a GM. I know a team like Edmonton flirted with the idea of, of considering him for the GM spot, which means he's in that discussion. I think that he's still one step away from that, but he might get that one step away elsewhere if the Canucks may not be willing to, say, promote him internally, give him more responsibility. Because if he's looking at it from a career aspect, you know, why take a lesser role or less here if you can have a bigger opportunity elsewhere in about six months' time when your contract runs out? So those factors play into it. So how willing are the Canucks to give him a promotion of sorts or at least increases responsibility and, and allow him to keep growing and, and rising up the charts in the organization. And if there's disagreement and no alignment on that on that, then it's hard to envision him staying. But you know, all this can change with one phone call. All it takes is 
you know, Jim uh, calling him and saying, okay, here's another deal on the table. Here's uh, the money or whatever that you want. That's one part. And here is another title on top of it, whether that's AGM, whether that's a HP title or something. That's going to be the question of whether the Canucks are able to get Judd back is what type of role do they envision for him? These things can change. But as far as I know, this is the offer that was on the table last week. And Jim told me this and he told Patrick Johnson the same thing. And also Murph on TV yesterday, a two-year offer on the table. But the one I heard about from last week, that offer wasn't going to get it done. Mm. You know, you know, things might change and evolve here over the next week or two, but something to keep an eye on. So basically what you're saying is it, he it's more of like he wants kind of like the title. Like I'm sure everyone has a similar situation yeah. where, you know, you're getting compensated well, but you want, you know, recognition from your peers and from yeah. your superiors. So essentially he wants to be like an AGM, like uh, Chris Gear. Yeah, and I'm not even sure if it's like, honestly, I can't say for because I don't want to speak for Judd and I'm not going to sit here and speak for him and say that there has to be a different title. And the responsibilities could just be within <clears throat> the current uh, title he has, but an increased responsibility with certain things. And that's where it comes down to it. How much of a voice can he have in the organization and how much more can it grow? And if he feels like that's stunted or that's not going to happen, then obviously he may not view Vancouver as a place for him to continue ascending his career. So that's where it's at. I mean, I don't want to come out here and say it has to be an AGM title or it has to be a DP title. But that's the easy way to approach it. It's just the responsibility, responsibility and the role have to align. And you can still get creative and give him more responsibility and more power without effectively changing the title significantly. So that's what, what it's really going to come down to. Mm. So if you were to give a percentage as to like how likely a deal gets done soon or eventually, what would you put that percentage at? 50-50. 50 percent like we need we i'm trying to make headlines here we need i need at least like 70 no, percent i know i can't no no i gotta say it's, it's touch and go it's 50 50 like it can go either way like all it takes is one call and be like yeah this is it or they hold firm and next thing you know it's done like <clears throat> i really want to give you a big assurance one way or the other but right now to me it's 50 50 mm-hmm. so who do you think in the organization's kind of hesitant on giving judd brackett what he what he wants is it is it Jim Benning is it John Weisbrod or is it someone from ownership like so, who do you think is kind of holding this thing back right now? I mean, it, it's tough to say because there's a lot of speculating going there. If you're trying to you know throwing it at the feet of Jim or John, one thing I have heard though is um, the ownership group really likes Judd Brackett and values him and thinks highly of him. So you know if you keep that in mind. And if push comes to shove, if they feel like they're about to lose them and ownership steps in, that can change everything. And from what I've heard, ownership's a big fan of Judd and they don't want him to leave the organization. So there is that will. Because if it wasn't if it wasn't that aspect hanging over things, I may say, hey, it's very unlikely he comes back. The reason I say it's 50 50 is well, the owner likes him, which it seems he does. And if he all of a sudden says, okay, let's do whatever we can to keep him, then that changes the equation. So that's one reason why I'm more optimistic than some that he will actually end up signing but the guy that can really influence things is at the very top of the organization mm. okay let, 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 let's move on to the next uh next question so uh we had tan beer on sipping on a 40 and we had a debate which which would you rather have prime alex edler or quinn hughes as like right now quinn hughes tan beer was all oh, over right. tan beer was all over the alex edler train me me and kyle were arguing hard for quinn hughes who would, like, in your opinion, who would you rather have, Prime Alex Edler or Quinn Hughes? Man, so 
prime Alex Edler, to me, was a super complete defenseman who was an absolute beast. But he couldn't change the dimension of a game the way Quinn used Thank can. you. Thank you. And, and the thing that Edler did really well, though, and especially in 2011, and he got hurt and he came back late, but if you look at that, that Stanley Cup run, he was an absolute monster in that entire playoff run. And in Chicago, he was, he was just wrecking. I still guy. remember that hit that he game. had against Patrick Kane in the first round. Legendary oh, stuff. There's so many. You know, that and so many other times he crunched guys. And he was just such a beast out there. Game five against the Boston Bruins is one of the single best games any Canuck defenseman has ever played that I've ever watched. Like, he was an absolute menace in that game. Incredible how well he played. And if you look at that type of performance at its peak, well, that's probably a little bit higher than where Quinn Hughes is right now. But Quinn Hughes is a rookie defenseman right now, and he's playing at this incredible level. And he's still close to where Edler was, right? And peak Edler is pretty much equal in value to where Quinn Hughes is right now. And that is why it's so incredible watching what Quinn Hughes does. Quinn Hughes is playing at a top-pairing level as a rookie defenseman. And he's playing well enough to legitimately not only you know make the case that he should win the Calder over Kale McCarr, you can make the case that Quinn Hughes has been a top ten defense in the league this season. Oh, absolutely! And you know, and how many times do you say that about Edler in his career? Maybe there was a year. So if you look at it, peak Edler with Quinn Hughes right now is a push, maybe slightly better, but it's really not not a big gap. Mm. Yeah, let, uh, counterpo- counterpoint. Counterpoint. Alex Edler's career high in points is 49. Quinn Hughes yeah. oh, might, might, might break that in his first full season with the Canucks. Oh, he's, he's, he's going to break that. No, if you look at the point totals, and, and that's what I mean about 2011, because if you look at how he played that year in that playoff, and that was, to me, that was peak Edler, right? And yeah. it goes beyond just the points, but that year he was on pace to put, put together even a better season than he ever has. <clears throat> he was an absolute monster for the team. So peak Edler was that one window, and it's essentially where Quinn Hughes is right now. Like Quinn Hughes, it's just absolutely unreal. Like, I, as much as we talk about and hype him, I don't, I don't think we're hyping him enough. Yeah, no, the, the uh, Next Misconduct Podcast Network is official Quinn Hughes hype train conductors. We're, we're all, dude, don't worry, we're all over Quinn Hughes at this network. No, dude, it's the best thing you could do. Like, mm-hmm. my word of advice is focus on the stars with this team, man. Like, you know, and I'm not saying don't talk about guys like Goldobin. Like, sure, it's part of the storyline, but all the time that's wasted talking about guys that really don't matter is just chilling time you can spend talking about what's really mm. important. With I'll the leave, team. I'll leave the Goldobin talk to, uh, to Faber and Quadrelli. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? They do a great job with all I'm saying is there are important things and big picture things that are important to this team, but the real meat of this franchise will be those two players long-term, Quinn Hughes and Leah Patterson. Mm. So and anytime you spend talking about them, it's like playing – Hit, hit records. You can't go wrong. Yeah, just play the hits. Exactly. Yeah, you you were you, so, you just worked for Z ninety five three. That's the exactly. play the hits. Z ninety five had you hooked as a ten year old, right? They played all the hits. Yeah, listen all the time. Exactly. That's there why I know. liked it. Yeah, just the hits. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. So one maybe you uh, one player that maybe used to be kind of in that star player conversation. Everyone used to talk about maybe has fallen out of favor a bit. Is Brock Besser? You know, he yeah. got bumped down to the third line. He, I saw a stat that on Twitter that he's played fewer than like uh, 15 minutes uh, in a few games since the since that loss to the Jets. He's played like his ice time's really gone down. He was on that top line I think against the Hurricanes, but it seems like like the third is either he's alternating between the first line and the third line. 
What do you see like his future with the Vancouver Canucks? Maybe just for the rest of the season. Do you think he's going to stay on that third line? Or do you think there's a chance like I think they should do is move him up to the second line with Bo Horvat? And like, I'm sure everyone loves Louie. It's a good story, but it's Louie Erickson. Come on. He's not, he's not a long-term solution on the second line, no, right? No, no. Like, like Louie's been really good in, in a short spell. He had a really tough game on the weekend against Carolina. Maybe the toughest game he's played since he came back from injury or came back from the press box. But um, I'm with you. Like, Brock Besser, he played a lot in the, with the top line in the last game. I think ultimately that's where he's going to be back to playing again. And I wouldn't be surprised, like you mentioned, we see him with, with Pearson and Horvat at some point. And I do think some of the stuff about him on the third line is a little bit overblown. Like, I think what they tried to do was put Jake up there for a minute, change things up, and Jake got hot. So they just rode the wave with Jake because he was putting up points. So why would you change it? And the hope was kind of, okay, well, can Brock lift up the third line? And obviously, you know, there's some struggles going on defensively with that line. So he wasn't able to really elevate them. Although he did play a lot better on that line against the Islanders. And, you know, he has kind of come around a little bit. But I do think some of the concern about Bester is overblown. Like, sometimes guys get moved from the third to the first line. But ultimately, by the end of the season, he's going to be playing 18 minutes a game, which he's been averaging all year. So I don't think yeah, he's going to be relegated to that third line a lot. And ultimately, he'll be back on the first line. You'll see him on the second line a little bit as well. And I, I know it gets frustrating when you see him on the third line. And I know uh, it creates questions about, oh, is, that, is that where he's going to be and all that sort of stuff. If you look at the way they've been winning and the fact that over this winning streak and this streak, Erickson's been good with Pearson and Horvath, and they've been good defensively, so they kept them together. Because if you look at their defensive value, the shot metrics and all that stuff, they've been really good as a line. So it's like, I understand you don't want to mess with it when you're winning. And when Jake got hot, you just kept them with Patterson uh, and Miller. But I see Bester being back there again. I don't see this as being a big concern moving forward. And the one thing that's actually a positive is you have players now that can fit certain roles in your top nine. And if sometimes a guy like Jake's rolling, you put him up. Sometimes a guy like Louis steps in and he's playing well, you ride that way for a while. And we have a bunch of these middle six forwards as well that are interchangeable. And now Lebo is hurt, but he can play on that second line when needed. Then you have options in your top nine. If you want to have a top nine that can score, sometimes you move things around. They are somewhat interchangeable. So I think based on the opponent and based on who's going how, you might see these things kind of flip around a little bit. But I don't see it as being a huge concern about Bester. Like ultimately, I still think they, they believe he has improved as a player. And you still want to see him score a bit more, but he's still been an overall super valuable player. He's better all around than he's ever been. And the goal scoring, once he gets back in that top line and plays a bit more, which I see him doing, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a bit hot here for the final 28, 29 games, goal scoring wise. Hmm. No, I like your take about the uh, the top line for it. Like, when, once Louis Erickson sees an empty net, you just got to let that man do his thing and get out of the way. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. They call him the insurance line for a reason. <laughs> Absolutely. So one player you, you did mention there was Jake Vertanen. He's going to be, I believe, an RFA at the end of the season. What do you what do you see from, like, a new deal in terms of, like, Jake Vertanen? Do they do they go for, like, a long-term route? Do they go for another bridge deal? Like, what do you see Jake Vertanen's future, like, contract looking like? Uh, I think we'll see a a one- or two-year deal for Jake, most likely. And I, and I see it being anywhere from... 2.2 to 2.9, depending on arbitration. If he goes to Arv and wins the case, it might be as high as 2.9. But I think like a two-year deal in that five to five and a half million range, so 2.5 to 2.75, to be the sweet spot. Because I do think as, as happy as they are with Jake, and the reason they haven't really entertained trading him 
uh, in the second half of the season is because of how well he's played. And they're like, well, maybe he's figuring it out. And I think that he's figured it out enough that they don't want to move him. And, you know, things can change in the summer because mm-hmm. who knows what offers come your way and what happens with other contract situations. But he's now off the trade block and he's now part of the group moving forward. So he has graduated past, do we keep him or do we move him to? We're keeping him. And now the question is, is this the year he figured it out? Or does he have to do it one more time for us to feel good? And ultimately, I think the organization would like to see him have one more year like this, and then, or one or two more, and then they would be happy giving him a longer-term deal with bigger money. That's the sense I get now. Uh, the only thing that can change is if Jake is willing to take less, you know, a little bit less than a longer term deal, and maybe that seems more palatable. Like they get up to three years or four years at a number that can feel as team friendly. But ultimately, I see it being a shorter term deal because I think the sense is they want to see him. They're like, great, it's awesome. We love what you've done. Do it one more time, and we'll feel a lot better about committing to you long term. Mm-hmm. Do you think Jake Vertan is going to negotiate a, um, like a deal with Cactus Club in his new deal? Like he gets some sort of like, bonus every like he gets like a free appetizer every time he scores 10 goals for the connects you know what that could happen i mean cactus is a good spot and i mean he, he seems to frequent it as well right so it's yeah, like he, uh, he loves to crush appies there not not, hey man, not that there's any, not, not that there's anything wrong with that i'm just no I'm just spitballing I, do, here. I, I i love cactus club appies too the happy hour is fun so i mean i can't blame him i mean he's got good taste in a restaurant at least at least he's not like a tim charlotte who likes uh dynamite rolls from earl's or wherever the hell he goes Ooh. Yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah, that that person, like, yeah. as as a, someone who was like born and raised here, that that offended me deeply. You're going to Earl's for sushi. There's so many good spots for sushi in Vancouver, right? So mm. you know, pick the spot. But he's, I mean, I guess he's not from here, right? So he's like, he's at a at a Cotman restaurant doing his thing. Yeah, he's from like New Hampshire too, so you think they'd have like a lot of seafood there, which is always the thing that yeah. confuses me. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I think his forte is being a doctor, right, Doctor Schaller. So oh, yeah. maybe he knows more about this. <laughs> The medicine that he does. Too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe maybe he has a right all along. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> so uh, we had a debate, uh, me and my friends earlier. Who would you think is the MVP of this team, Jacob Markstrom or Elias Patterson? Man, like it, this is. I think it's more... closer than a lot of people think. Dude, it, it's totally close because you know people look at Patterson's point totals, which are great. I mean, they're over a point per game, but he's been even far more valuable defensively than he has been point-wise because of the two-way value he has. So you can't just look at the points with it. Pedersen. There's so much more to that story. You saw mm-hmm. the performance he had against Carolina. The guy took the game over. He's an absolute beast, and his impact cannot be uh, understated. Like, he's been incredible. Like he's, he's been absolutely incredible for this team. And I would lean to Pedersen still because he plays every game, and he's been so consistent. He's only gone two games back-to-back without scoring all season. He's had three stretches like that. The rest, he's had one game in between where he doesn't score. So his point production is remarkably consistent. His two-way value is incredible. And he just gets better as the season goes on right now. And, you know, you can definitely make a case for Markstrom, I understand. But for me, it's Pedersen because of every game he's played. He's been so valuable to the team. But it's one of those discussions. You can even make a case for J.T. Miller. because yeah. of the entire Dark Horse candidate, I like it. Right, you can even make a case for Quinn Hughes. There are four guys in this team you can make a case as MVP, and that is why they're sitting first in the Pacific and only within striking distance of top spot in the conference. And these things can change, of course, and the Canucks are not a perfect team. But when you have four guys, you can make a compelling case for MVP of your team in a positive way, not like, hey, it's a snail race, we're trying to figure out who the fastest is. 
Like, there is a reason why the team is having success. Mm. Uh, I like that. That you mentioned that game against Carolina. He was amazing. I compared it like on my podcast, which I guess you'll listen to after we're done this uh, tomorrow. After we're done this interview, I compared it like a great basketball player just taking over a game. We just whenever just says, "All right, yeah. just give this guy the ball." Let him do his thing, and you'll you'll you know take us to victory. It's almost like that against the Hurricanes. Guxer's like, okay, give Pedersen the puck, and uh, let him do his thing, and maybe we can get a win out of this. Yeah, no, that, that's a really good way of putting it. It was like a a basketball game. It's like uh, LeBron decided to take over all the yeah. sudden, or like my favorite player of all time, who, who just passed, Kobe Bryant, like a fourth mm. quarter Kobe, pretty much, right? Like that's that's what Pedersen's been doing, and you know the dedication he has to the craft as well. I love the quote he had post game on the weekend after Carolina, he scores two goals and he's asked about, oh, the one chance in the third. And he says, yeah, I've been practicing that. I wish I had that one back. I've been practicing on that in practice. I just got to work harder. Like his default to uh, failure, and you want to call missing a chance failure, then I don't know, man. You're not going to score every single chance you have. But to him, his recourse to failing is working harder. It's not like I'm going to blame somebody else and say, hey, it just happens. He's like, okay, it didn't happen to me. I'm going to go and work on it even more. And that is a sign of that next level player, right? And yeah. that's the type of leader you want on a team. He doesn't have a uh, an A on on the jersey or a C on the jersey, and you don't look at him as being a leader in the organization. But he has the biggest presence on the team, and when he goes ham and takes over, like the rest of the team takes notice. Like one of the things that became very evident last season, and being around the team and talking to guys and being the locker room post game was the presence he has. Like, when he decides to talk, people listen. And that was a rookie. Like, not a lot of players have that type of presence to him. He really does. So when he takes over a game, the rest of the guys follow suit because they're like, well, our best player's doing it. So we got to do it as well. Yeah, and you mentioned Kobe. Like, like I'm a big basketball fan. Basketball fan, sorry, as well. He's got that mob mentality, like you tweeted out. And yeah, I'm going to put – I'm coming to your – as a guest – you get like automatic defense online. I'm coming to your I'm coming to your defense for that Mamba mentality tweet. Look, the whole reason Kobe Bryant was all constantly talking about, you know, the Mamba mentality is he wants other players to, you know, have that same mentality. He wants other people to have that Mamba mentality, not even in sports, but just like whatever you do in life. He wants you wants people to be the best they can be and have that drive and work ethic. So like I agree with your tweet that like Elias Patterson has that Mamba mentality. And yeah, I'm coming to your fence. I don't think it was fair people ripping on you. Kobe Bryant talked about it all the time because he wants yeah, other players and other athletes, other whatever you do in life, he wants you to have that mob yeah. mentality, and he wants to spread the gospel yeah. of mob mentality to the world. It, it all comes down to hard work and your passion. Like, how driven are you? Like, you love something, then go out and do it. And if this is what you're passionate about, like, pour your entire soul into it and, and embrace it and love it. And you see that from a player like Quinn Hughes. You see from Elias Pedersen. And you're right. Like, and I understand. You know, he had just passed. A lot of people have raw emotions. People grieve differently. And it's easy to perceive things when you're grieving to be negative or being, you know, trying to maximize mm-hmm. the moment. All I was trying to do is, is further his legacy, right? And I think most people got it and understood it. And there were some that were upset about it. But I don't I don't hold any grudges about that. Like I said, people grieve differently. And if you're really sad about Kobe's passing, you know, you might be on edge a little bit. So I completely understand. I don't have anything against anybody. But you're right. It's more about perpetuating his legacy. And I think it's powerful that mama mentality to be around because he's gone. And what can we do to remember him? It's applying what he spoke about so passionately, especially after he 100%. played. He wrote a book about it. Like it was, it was about like be the best you can be and do everything you can. Don't have any regrets about your life if you're doing what you love. Like just just immerse yourself into it. Be passionate about it, and mm-hmm. it goes for anything. Like you know, that's how I applied. That's how I 
uh, work in my, in my in my job. Like I, I I give everything I can, and, I, and I'm so dedicated to it because I love it. And I'm like, I don't want to leave a I don't want to leave a single day looking back and saying that I'm not taking advantage of my dream job. Like if you're if you're living your dream, then make sure that dream lasts as long as possible. You know that that's the best thing you can do if you're passionate about something. And I see that with Patterson. Like he just wants to get better. All he wants to do is be the absolute best player he can be and also be one of the best players on the planet. He has that mentality, and I think we should celebrate it and we should shine some light on it. That that, that was amazing. I'm ready, ready to like run through a brick wall after that. Like I think you have a, fu- a future in motivational speaking if you ever want to hang up uh, hang up your headphones, so to say, in radio. Well, we'll see. I, I don't know if I'll be going down that path. I don't know if I'll be you can do it I, after that. after that after that little speech. I'm convinced, man. I'm absolutely convinced. Okay, sorry. So we just got a couple more questions here. It's February, yeah, which means it uh, we can officially start start talking about the trade deadline. It feels like I'm of the opinion this is probably going to be the least interesting t- trade deadline in recent history, just because feels like every team's capped out and no one really wants to take on salary unless they can give salary back. Uh, just speaking on the Canucks' perspective specifically, what do you think they're going to do, if anything, at, at the trade deadline? Uh, what I see happening at the deadline is maybe a depth addition. And I think right now the the angle that the team is looking at the most is could they add another center to the fold? And I think that seems counterintuitive. You're like, well, there's Adam Goddard, there's Jay Beagle, there's Brandon Sutter. Well, well here's how this kind of falls falls apart a little bit. Goddard, I, I love Goddard. I'm a big Goddard fan. And I, and I think his progression this year has been fantastic. Offensively, great. And he's taking a big step forward. I'm not sure, though, Travis views him as that type of third-line center right now that he can just throw out there in any situation. Yeah. Just look at his uh, deployment in the last few games, especially on the road. You know, Horvath will come out and take an offensive defensive zone draw, for instance, right? Like, they'll be creative with way, the way they use him. And it's like, in the playoffs, you're not going to be sheltering your third-line center a lot, right? And there's going to be a resistance to doing that. So that, to me, says they're not completely sold on him in every situation yet. And then with Jay Beagle, listen, I, I think Jay Beagle has great presence in the locker room. He's a super positive guy. He's, yeah, he, but, he's a warrior. He works hard. But he's yeah, but I, I knew that was right? coming. I knew the butt was coming. Right. No, no, it was. Like, he has really struggled this year. And I do think he's also playing through an injury as well that's kind of hampering him a little bit too. So I think there's something going on with Beagle. Not, that's not 100%. And then with Brandon Sutter, like as, as well as he's played and he's played in that type of role, because I think Brandon Sutter actually removed the money. He's been just fine as a bottom six player this year. Like he's actually been a good bottom six player. Yeah, the unfortunate right? part like is you can't, you can't remove the money. You can't remove the money, right? But, but as far as that role, he's been fine. But here's the thing with Brandon Sutter. You can count on him being healthy. You can count on him being healthy the final 29 games and in the postseason. Probably not. So if you're looking at all those avenues, what's the thing the Canucks might be looking at the most? probably a depth center. Now, I don't think they're going to go out and get somebody who's making a lot of money, but that's one thing I could see them doing. And for them to do anything above that, adding depth down the middle or something along those lines, they don't really have the cap space. Unless, like Elliot Friedman told us on Sports and 650 this week, you know, unless they move a guy like Stetcher and get something in return for him, and they clear a little bit of money, and then they go and make another move, for instance, because nobody wants Schaller. Nobody wants Jordy Ben right now because he's being healthy. Strauss has another year on his deal. And you're not able to trade Beagle and Sutter. So if you're looking at Shed's salary, you, you know, nobody wants Berchi at this moment. So it comes down to do you move a guy like Stetcher? But considering Stetcher's played well and considering they like the chemistry of the team, that to me seems unlikely too by the deadline. So a depth move, whether it's a defensive or a center, that to me is the most likely thing to do at the deadline. Mm-hmm. So what kind of centers that are out there available like fit that profile, you think? 
Well, one guy and his value might be a little bit too high, but Blake Coleman um, with New Jersey has been good. He's a player that Canucks have liked in the past before too. And if you start looking at teams like I, I know, uh, you know they're not going to trade Nick Dowd, but somebody that's like liking Nick Dowd, which the fans are like, what do you mean? Like we so, had so Nick the Dowd Can- before, you, you like, know whatever. how that's going to play if the Canucks trade for Nick Dowd. They, try, right. they give up an asset for a guy who they could have just re-signed with right. instead of Beagle. And it's, and, it, and it's probably not going to be nicked out, like I said, but a player like him. So, And the question really comes down to how many teams are going to be out of it. And every mm-hmm. team has like a depth fourth-line center that you know, they're looking to move, who's an expiring UFA, not making a lot of money. That type of player, I could see them going after. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, what? Okay, this is, this is the final question. I promise this is the final question. So we at the Next Misconduct Podcast Network... We're having an official game 82 tailgate before game 82, the very final game at home against the Vegas Golden Knights. I'm going to be, I'm, we're all going to be there. I'm bringing the Italian sausage and peppers. Kyle's bringing the chicken curry. We got Tambier. Tambier's confirmed coming. I'm not, I don't remember what exactly he's bringing, but he's bringing something. Trevor Beggs is bringing the dry unseasoned chicken breast. Uh, this is your, this is your official invitation. Would you like to attend the game 82 tailgate? Okay, I'm so I'm so like so far away from game 82. What day does that fall on? That that's a Saturday, last game of the Saturday season. Game. It's a, it's a, it's a, Saturday at home how against Vegas. You, okay, how how soon you get starting the whole party? How oh we have this? I, I'm thinking it's like an all day thing. Like I'm I, I want to start oh, okay. like at noon. I want to start all at noon right, and so, like you know enjoy the, enjoy the day and then you know celebrate. Hopefully the Canucks, you know maybe division champs, but probably in the playoffs. Right. So. Okay, uh, on that. Okay, no, sorry. One more thing. I know people are kind of antsy about having like an open party, like celebrating the Canucks after 2011. I get it. I am personally handling the security detail. So I'm personally overseeing the uh, security detail. There's nothing to worry about on that. I I don't tolerate any funny business. You're gonna go. You're gonna turn into a Nick Bond instead of Bondy. Yeah, straight up. Yeah. Yeah, You know what? You know that that, that's clever. You know, if I had if I had a dollar (laughs) for every time someone used that joke, I I could retire right now. I wouldn't have to work a day in my life. Well, I mean, I just, it was too easy for me, especially with the whole security thing. So I'm, I'm on air at 5.30. I got to be at, at, at the rink at 5. So I will come by before that. Okay. Uh, awesome. So you are confirmed attending. I can use that for advertising. Yeah. Okay. okay. I may not be able to stay along, but I will make an appearance. Okay. So, no, sorry. Yeah, so there's a couple more questions. Uh, what, do you like, what do you like to drink? I'm, I'm making gin and tonics. I think Kyle's making Ooh. something. What's your preferred drink? Man, uh, I mean, beer. One one drink on the house. Uh, one drink on the house. Gin and tonic. Uh, I'm 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 on a, a vodka soda kick right now. I'll go with oh, the okay. vodka soda because I'm having very, very classy. Too much beer. So I'll go with the vodka soda. I do love scotch as well, but scotch in the afternoon on a Saturday before okay. I go to work. We're, we're way we're way major. we're way too low class for scotch. Yeah, yeah, not 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 the scotch. Not right. That's more of a night thing. Yeah. Also, uh, what food are you bringing? Uh, what food am I bringing? What, yeah. do, you, what do you guys have coming? Okay, sorry. We, I, yeah, okay. Again, I'm bringing the Italian sausage and peppers. Oh, right. Italian yeah, yeah. Sausage, right? Kyle's got the chicken curry. I don't remember what Tambier brought. I know Tambier said he's bringing something. I, I, yeah, I don't remember what he's bringing, but I know Trevor Beggs is bringing the dry, unseasoned chicken breast. Just nice, and, nice, nice and dry. It tastes like sandpaper. Very appealing. All right, I'll... I'll- I'll be the guy that brings like a, a fruit or veggie tray. You want somebody's got to bring. Yes, you know, yeah, that that's good. You're you're the you're the older responsible adult of the group. Yeah, yeah. Someone's got to someone's got to balance it out. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I'll do that. I'll, I'll bring something to keep you somewhat healthy while you're indulging. Yeah, perfect. That that's perfect. Awesome. Yeah. Thank thank you for so much for uh, for coming on the podcast. 
No, I'm dude. I, I, anytime, guys. Like I, like I said, I, I'm down to come and, and chat with you guys. I appreciate the time. And uh, sorry about my voice today. Like I've been, I'm just no, getting you, over this you, cold. You, so. you sounded amazing, and you are officially since you're on the clout tour, you do have to come back on next time I ask. No questions asked. Dude, you let me know, man. We'll do it. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Thanks to Sadiar Shah for uh, hopping on Power of the Towel. Once again, this is Power of the Towel. Hosted by myself, Nick Bondi. You can follow me at Nick Bondi on Twitter. You can follow the account for the podcast at Power of the Towel as well. And if you subscribe to the network, not only do you get this show, you get Sipping on a 40, a recap after every Canucks game. There will be one tomorrow night after the Bruins, for sure. You'll get the Quickie, a daily hockey show featuring Trevor Beggs, where he drops some truth bombs on you in the morning to get you started. And you also get Silky and Filthy, Puck Talking Bullshit, hosted by Cal Bowen and Trevor Bakes. Absolutely brilliant combo. Now let's get to our recurring segments. We're debating a new segment this episode. You know, like I said, there's a lot of positivity around the city. Canucks are doing well. You know, it was a nice day, at least when I was recording this. I don't know if it's a nice day when you're listening to this. But it got me thinking about, you know, some, you know, every time the Canucks in the playoffs, you know what happens? Car flags. I'm gonna. I'm, you bet. You better believe. I'm putting my car flag on as soon as the Canucks make the playoffs. It's been a long time. I'm dust. I'm. I'm digging this thing out of my garage. I'm dusting it off. So we're gonna take about or two a little. Uh, this has no official, say, clever segment name or whatever. I'm just. I just want to go off on a little bit of a tangent. I'm. I'm. This is. This is car flag talk. All right, car flag talk. Where we? I'm just gonna go off on the rant and go off the percentage. I think I am, and most people are, for how how close people are for people to take out their car flag. Now, like I said, there's still about two months to go in the season. Ducks are looking pretty good. They have about I think a six point gap above the Coyotes for a wild card spot. I remember seeing a tweet from Jeff Patterson after the Islanders game that Canucks can go 15-15. and 15. Essentially, that will the rest of the season. They have about 30 games left. That will leave them with 94 points, and 94 points is usually, usually enough to make the postseason in the NHL now. Like I said on the last episode on Sipping Out of 40, I think the Canucks are going to make the playoffs, but there's still a little tiny part of me, a little sliver that says, this is the Vancouver Canucks, and they can rip out your heart at any given moment. So I have to decrease my my percentage back on that. But how close am I to putting on the car flag? I'm about I'm about sixty five percent of the way there. I can to visualize what sixty five percent is. I can see I, I've managed to dig up the car flag out of my garage. It's in my garage. I know exactly where it is, but I'm just going to leave it there for a bit. 
I haven't, I haven't, I haven't touched. I just, I've just dug it out of, out of all the junk. And all I'm going to do now is I know exactly where it is. So when it comes time, I can take it out, but I haven't, I haven't moved it. It's still in the same place. It's just visible. So yeah, that was, uh, that was car flight. That was car flight talk. Sure. That's going to be a fucking great segment. I'm, I hope people are, you know, Hope people are thinking about where their car flags are after that one. And finally, our final segment of the evening. How how could I miss it this one? How could I miss it this time? It's way to go, Jimmy. All right, way to go, Jimmy. Where we. Talk about the trials and gi- and tribulations of one Jim Matheson. Now, as I was playing that intro, another siren went by. I don't know what the hell's going on around the the North Burnaby area today. I ho- I hope whoever is like calling all these ambulances and and fire trucks, I hope they're okay. That's all I'm gonna say. Now there was a there was a f- like Jim was on his game during the the Battle of Alberta this week. Like there was a lot of tension on the Oilers, and he busted out the good tweets. But just one I wanted to one I wanted to highlight was about this was I believe February first. So that was yeah, no, that was a Saturday. That this was before this was before the rematch. Before the rematch in Calgary of the Battle of Alberta. Now Tyler Benson, of course, has a local connection here in Vancouver. He played uh, his his junior days out at the uh, Langley Event Center for the uh, Vancouver Giants. He was pretty highly touted from what I remember. He was he set some sort of Alberta minor hockey scoring record or something like that. And I don't think he like lived up to those heights. Sorry, lived up to those heights. <laughs> he he was definitely hyped up coming into major junior, but he didn't live up to the hype. He was a uh, early second round pick of the Oilers. So he still made the NHL, but he wasn't a first round pick, like high first round pick like many guys were projecting. Anyway, so he was he was maybe maybe not coming to lives, and this is how uh, intrepid reporter Jim Matheson finds out if uh, if players are uh, are going to be in the lineup. Here's his exact quote: "Best way to find out if Benson is playing first NHL game, if you can find parents at rink, won't be there if Tyler was told he is not playing." <laughs> oh man, I can just imagine like. Jim Matheson, this was sent at 5.01 p.m., so about two hours before puck drop. I guess imagine Jim Matheson sitting in the Calgary Flames press box. He's got his pair of binoculars out, and he's just scouring, he's just scouring like the lower bowl to see if Tyler Benson's parents are... How does he even know what Tyler Benson's parents look like? Did he, did he have to Google search them? or I'm, Maybe he's actually looking for Tyler Benson. In like in the lower bowl talking to his parents. And some of these some of these replies are pretty funny. Gymalytics is one. This is probably this is uh <laughs> this one guy. Yeah, yes, because they will definitely be wearing their I'm Tyler Benson's parents t shirts. Another good one is if only there was somebody in media who has strong ties to the team over the last thirty years gets paid to find these things out. Yeah, why not just at try and find out from like what some of the coaching staff? Why are you like scouring the low like the saddle home to see if like Tyler Benson's parents and like and like Yamamoto ninety seven said, 
How would you even know they're Tyler Benson's parents unless Tyler Benson is talking to them? Oh, man. Jim Napson, what a character. There's actually there's a few this week that thank Jim Napson had a good week in the sense that I've got a few on standby that I can keep running this segment for the next few weeks. I don't have to worry about him like going offline. Anyways, that was uh, this week's episode of Power of the Towel. Once again, thank you for Sadiar Shah for hopping on the podcast. Before you stop listening, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the network, the Next Misconduct Network, wherever you get podcasts. Not only do you get this show, you get The Quickie, you get Silky and Filthy, and you get Sippin' on a 40. Four shows for one subscription. We got a lot of good content coming for everyone. The Quickies have been amazing. Last episode of Silky and Filthy, if you haven't listened to it, is awesome with the legendary TSN 1040 caller, Tambirana. And of course, Sip It on the 40 is always, always a good listen. This is Power of the Towel. Once again, I'm your host, Nick Bondi. Thank you for listening.